is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome to Wealth Wake Up this Sunday morning here on KGMI. Dick Donahue with you and thank you for being with us. I'm going to start out our weekly commentary this week talking about low-quality growth. Last Friday's job report showed non-farm payrolls up 216,000 in December, beating the consensus expected 175,000. Many are arguing that this huge number proving that the economy is not going into recession. But digging deeper into the data brings some doubt. In fact, it looks like the U.S. is seeing low-quality growth. For example, yes, non-farm payrolls came in better than expected in December, but not after adjusting the downward revisions of 71,000 to prior months. These downward revisions have now happened in 10 of the 11 past months. Over the last three months, private payrolls have increased a moderate 115,000 per month, tying for the slowest three-month job gain since COVID reopening starting back in 2020. What's more, average hours worked by employees also fell by two-tenths of one percent in December. Despite more workers, we worked less in December than we did the month before, which is a headwind to growth. Losing two-tenths total hours of work is the equivalent of losing 228,000 jobs. More importantly, the kind of jobs being added are of lower quality than what we want. In 2023, nearly half of all jobs added were in the government and health care, which is heavily funded by government. You compare this to 2015 to 2019 before COVID, when these two sectors accounted for a fifth of new jobs added. Where else is the quality of growth low? Construction. Many people are talking about onshoring as manufacturing comes back to the U.S. Manufacturing facility construction is up 59.1% from a year ago and up 123.5% from two years ago. But this isn't private money. The government is funding many new projects with its CHIPS Act and Inflation Reduction Act, artificially boosting spending in areas like manufacturing construction. But this deficit spending can't last forever. Real inflation-adjusted government purchases, which feed directly into the GDP numbers, are up 4.8% in the past year versus an average of 1% in the last 20 years. Meanwhile, recent government programs have been structured to multiply private sector investment in politically favored sectors like clean energy. That, in turn, helped prop up economic performance last year, pushing out a recession that had looked likely to arrive at some point in 2023. But it's the low-quality growth that comes at a price. In order to spend on government-favored projects, we must tax profitable entities in other areas. This redistribution does not add to growth. It just shifts it from one sector to another. In fiscal 2023, the U.S. government spent over $6.1 trillion and ran a budget deficit of nearly $1.7 trillion. This is fiscal madness. And it understates the true spending because the government was credited with $333 billion of negative outlay when the Supreme Court struck down President Biden's plan to forgive student loans. If you strip that out, the government spending in fiscal year 2023 represented roughly 24% of GDP. This is an incredibly high number for peacetime, especially for an economy that isn't in recession and had an unemployment rate below 4%. It's only a matter of time before low-quality growth stalls out. There are consequences to taking short-term gains rather than fixing structural problems. Just ask California. Illinois, or New York. In the meantime, the Federal Reserve is tasked with navigating treacherous terrain. Inflation is moderating, but is still too high. The Fed's choice to move from scarce reserve system to a system of abundant reserves makes battling inflation that much tougher. And they're navigating with blinders on, willfully ignoring changes to the M2 money supply, down 3% in the last year. We haven't lost faith in the U.S. economy. Far from it. But we need to take an honest view 
of the sustainability of the current growth. For the sake of future progress, the government needs to stop digging the hole deeper and face issues head on. We will never beat China by trying to be like China. Government can never create wealth in the long run. Let's take a look at our global roundup for the week. We're seeing tame U.S. producer price index offsets a hot consumer price index. Global equities are firmer on the week, despite an uptick in consumer prices and retaliatory strikes by U.S. and British forces against the Houthi militias in Yemen. The raids came in response to repeated attacks against commercial shipping and the U.S. naval forces in the region and helped keep the price of barrel West Texas intermediate crude oil elevated at $74.50. And the yield on U.S. 10-year Treasury note held steady at around 4%, while equity volatility as measured by the CBOE Volatility Index, or VIX, fell to 125 from 135 a week ago. Looking at our macro news, we saw that U.S. consumer prices ticked higher in December. The consumer price index rose a more than expected three-tenths of one percent in December from the month before, after rising only a tenth of one percent in November. On a year-over-year basis, prices rose 3.4 percent, up from November's 3.1 percent pace. Elevated housing and auto insurance costs stood out. Despite the unwelcome data, markets discount chance of a quarter-point rate cut from the Fed in March. Benign producer price data released on Friday helped soothe fears that inflation will become stuck well north of the Fed's 2% target. And U.S. lawmakers have reached a top-line budget deal that devils in the details. U.S. Senate Majority Chuck Schumer and Speaker of the House Mike Johnson reached an agreement on top-like spending figures this last weekend ahead of the 19th of January expiration of the temporary government funding bill. After several resignations and retirements at the end of 2023, Johnson's GOP majority has dwindled down to a single vote, leaving him little room to maneuver and giving individual lawmakers tremendous leverage to push their legislative priorities. With only a week to go before funding runs out, The passage of another stopgap measure seems likely because the details in the four remaining appropriations bills are still being hashed out. U.S. Secretary of Treasury Janet Yellen said this week that she is encouraged by the preliminary budget deal and is hopeful that a shutdown can be avoided. And Saudi Arabia cuts its Asian crude oil prices. So beginning in February, Saudi Arabia will cut the price of crude oil bound for Asia by $2 a barrel and a persistent weak demand. Analysts had expected a smaller dollar and a quarter barrel cut. Oil prices have traded choppily in a range of mid $70 a barrel amid the continued disruption of oil ships through the Suez Canal and Iran's seizure of a Greek-owned tanker over a dispute over sanctions invasion. And some of our quick hits for the week. Federal Reserve Bank of New York President John Williams said on Wednesday, that monetary policy is restrictive enough for the Fed to reach its 2% inflation goal and that meaningful progress of bringing down inflation has been made, though inflation remains above target. He said rates will normalize as inflation falls and the timing and speed of any cuts depends on the economy. Several other Fed officials downplayed the likelihood of a rate cut coming as early as March. And European Central Bank President Christine Lagarde said Thursday that absent a shock with rates likely at their peak, cuts can begin once data confirm that inflation is on the path to reach central bank's target. On Friday, the ECB's chief economist, Philip Lane, said that rate cuts are a topic for discussion in the near term. And the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission approved trading and spot Bitcoin exchange-traded funds on Wednesday. Some of the funds began trading on Thursday. And a former Bank of Japan board member told Bloomberg that he expects the central bank to hike rates in April after the conclusion of the spring wage talks in March. Inflation in Argentina ended 2023 up at 211%. This is Dick Donahue with you. We'll take a quick break, and we will be right back. 
Looking for top-notch personal protection? The Smith & Wesson Equalizer is here to level the playing field. Easy to rack slide, easy to control ergonomic grip, it's designed for you. With a 10, 13, and 15-round magazine included, size up for better control or size down for easier concealment. Don't miss out on the opportunity to upgrade your safety. Visit your local dealer now. To learn more about the Equalizer, visit smith-wesson.com. Smith & Wesson, empowering Americans. All capacity sizes may not be available in your jurisdiction. Be sure to check your local laws and regulations. Pizza's here. Oh, great. I'd love some, but I'm worried about my stomach issues. If you're worried about having diarrhea, gas, bloating, stomach pain, or loose oily stools, it may not just be stomach issues. It could be a condition called exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, or EPI. With EPI, the pancreas doesn't release enough enzymes to break down food, but EPI is manageable. Use the symptom checker on identifyepi.com and talk to your doctor. That's identifyepi.com. Sponsored by AbbVie. Thinking about buying the most reliable, safest, and most adventurous Outback ever? Check out all the 2024 Subaru Outbacks at Dewey Griffin with financing as low as 1.9% on all these Outbacks. Limited, Touring, Wilderness, Limited XT, and Touring XT trim models. See Dewey for all the details. Plus, when you purchase a Subaru from Dewey, you'll be supporting a local dealership that supports our community. Dewey Griffin Subaru. Community-minded, community-driven, and the only Subaru certified tire and service center in Whatcom County. Every day, KGMI brings you the latest news and information, and we also give you a chance to express your opinion on a major news story of the day. Go to KGMI.com anytime and take part in our daily news poll to see what others are thinking and add your voice. We'll have an update during the KGMI afternoon news, and we'll give you a final tally and a new question each day during the KGMI morning news. Be part of the conversation with the KGMI daily news poll, another informative and free feature from KGMI. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning here on KGMI. We're Asset Advisors. We are located out on the Pacific Highway in the Pacific Commerce Center, just out here by Wilson's Furniture. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number, 360-733-1200. And check out our website at wealthwakeup.com. Okay, continuing on with our global wrap-up, we also saw the Chinese invasion of Taiwan which shaved 10.2% from world GDP in its first succeeding year. That's according to a Bloomberg analysis forecast. U.S. growth would decline 6.7%, and growth would decline 16.7% and 40% in China and Taiwan, respectively, according to the analysis. Eurozone unemployment fell to 6.4% in November. That's the lowest level in 25-year history of the Eurozone. And analysts at Deutsche Bank pointed out this week that the U.S. investment-grade bond yields are below the Fed funds rate, something that happens only 1% of the time, usually ahead of recessions. China's share of the Morgan Stanley Emerging Markets Index fell to 23.8% of the index as of December 31st. That's about 16% below its peak levels in 2020. In early 24 trading, Chinese stocks have fallen toward a five-year low. India's weighting in the index increased to 16.7% at the end of 23, Taiwan's to 16%, and South Korea's to 12.9%. And Fed Chair, Vice Chair for Supervision, Michael Barr, indicated this week that the bank term lending program set up in response to last March's regional banking crisis will be allowed to expire on March 11th. We saw French President Emmanuel Macron this week promoted Education Minister Gabriel Attal to Prime Minister, replacing Elizabeth Bourne. At 34, Attal is France's youngest ever premier. And the Australian consumer prices rose 4.3% year-over-year in November. That is their smallest rise since January of 22. And the White House announced that President Joe Biden will send a high-level delegation to Taiwan after Saturday's Taiwanese presidential election. 
And data from the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia shows that the U.S. credit card delinquencies have risen to 3.2%. That's the highest level in a decade, and it's 40 basis points. That would be four-tenths of 1% higher than in the previous quarter. Consumer prices in China declined for the third straight month in December, dipping three-tenths of 1% from a year ago, while producer prices fell 2.7%. Falling prices in China should keep downward pressure on goods prices globally. Exports from China rose 3.8% last month, led by electric vehicles. The People's Bank of China is expected to trim interest rates this coming Monday. Take a little bit more in-depth look at the Consumer Price Index report we had for December that came out this week, and inflation accelerated to close out 2023, challenging the belief amongst many that the great inflation scare is, is in the rearview mirror. Consumer prices came in above consensus expectations in December, rising three-tenths of 1% for the month, while the 12-month comparison rose to a three-month high of 3.4%. Yes, this is leaps and bounds better than the 6.5% reading in the year ending December of 22, but still far and away from the Fed's 2% long-term target. Stripping out the volatile food and energy components to get core prices does not make inflation price look any better. Core prices rose three-tenths of 1% in December. They are up now 3.9% from a year ago. That's almost double the Fed's so-called target rate. Taking a deeper look under the inflation hood reveals even more concern. Rental inflation, both for actual tenants and the imputed rental value of owner-occupied homes, continues to run hot, up a half a percent for the month and running at or above a 6% annualized rate over 3, 6, and 12-month time frames. This is important because housing rents make up a third of the overall index. Meanwhile, a subset category of prices that the Fed is watching closely known as Supercore, which excludes food and energy and other goods and housing rents, jumped four-tenths of one percent for the second month in a row. This measure is up 3.9% in the last 12 months, has showed no signs of slowing, up 4.3% and 4.5% annualized rates in the last three and six months, respectively. Although inflation tended lower in 2023, it is still not where the Fed has always said it wants it to be. With interest rates above inflation across the yield curve and the M2 measure of money supply down 4.3% from its peak in July of 22, money seems to be tight enough to bring inflation down. But a monetary policy tight enough to bring inflation down is also tight enough to induce an eventual recession. How the Federal Reserve responds to the economic weakness could determine whether we repeat the inflationary 1970s. In employment news, initial claims for jobless benefits fell 1,000 this last week to 202,000. Continuing claims declined 34,000 to 1.834 million. These figures are consistent with moderate job growth in the month of January. And the December producer price index also came out this week, and in spite of a second month in a row of declining overall producer prices, down a tenth of 1% in November and December, it is too soon to declare victory over inflation. Yes, monetary policy is tighter, but engineering miracles are still pulling energy prices lower. In December, energy prices fell 1.2%. While over the past three months, they have fallen by the massive 34.4% annualized rate. Food prices fell in nine-tenths of 1% in December. Stripping out these two volatile components shows that core prices are unchanged in December, bringing the 12-month change to 1.8%. That's the lowest reading since December of 2020. With producer prices now at or below 2% inflation target for both headline and core readings, some will suggest that the inflation fight is complete. However, you look at the report on consumer prices that we just talked about shows that the Fed still has work to do, with consumer inflation accelerating to close out the year, while the critical housing component suggests the path to a 2% is going to have bumps along the way. Diving into the details of the PPI report shows that goods fell to four-tenths of 1% in December. Energy accounted for about half of that decline. 
While service prices all are were unchanged as higher prices for services less trade, transportation and warehousing were partially offset by a drop in costs for transportation and warehousing. Further back in the pipeline, processed goods prices fell six-tenths of 1% in December. They're now down 2.7% over the last year. Meanwhile, unprocessed goods fell 4.4% in December. They're down 19% in the last year. So monetary policy first affects growth, then with a la longer lag inflation. We have yet to see a major impact on growth. As a result, while we're happy to see some prices retreat, there is little evidence yet that the Fed policy has reversed its mistakes. And we also have the November International Trade Report come out this week. And the trade deficit in goods and services shrunk to $63.2 billion in November as imports declined faster than exports. However, we prefer to focus on the total volume of trade, so that's imports plus exports, as it shows the extent of business and consumer interaction across the U.S. border. This measure pulled back significantly in November, falling $11 billion, is only up two-tenths of 1% from a year ago. Exports are only up four-tenths of 1% versus a year ago, while imports are up one-tenth of 1%. That's consistent with the forecast that the U.S. is headed toward a recession. While a recent surge in federal budget deficit might have helped the U.S. economy avoid recession in the short term, the kind of artificial support can't last. Notably, there's a major shift going on in the pattern of U.S. trade. For 2023 through November, imports from China are down 21.2% year-over-date versus the same time frame in 22. China used to be the top exporter to the U.S., but its now top spot is by, held by Mexico. China and Canada are flipping, flopping back month to month between second and third. Meanwhile, daily freight rates have fallen rapidly and are back down to pre-COVID levels or lower as demand for shipping has stabilized. This was confirmed by the New York Fed's Global Supply Chain Pressure Index in November, with the index moving to positive territory of 0.13, standard deviations above the index's historical average. But we do expect some temporary volatility in the new year, though as Yemen's Houthi rebels continue to deter container ships from transmitting the Red Sea and temporarily adding significantly to shipping costs. Also in the report, the U.S. dollar value of U.S. petroleum exports exceeded imports once again. This is the 21st consecutive month of U.S. being a net exporter of petroleum products. Dick Donahue with you with 12 Wake Up here on KGMI. We'll be right back. Whatcom County and Northwest Washington offer endless beauty, and our phones make it possible for us to capture it instantly. And now KGMI is giving you another way to share your incredible pictures with Whatcom Wanderings. Just go to KGMI.com, look for Whatcom Wanderings, post your photos, and tell us where you took them. So share your pictures of our area's incredible beauty and complexity with Whatcom Wanderings at KGMI.com. You've earned your retirement and you're ready to fully embrace it. So why not do it with style at Meadow Greens Retirement? You'll enjoy active, independent living with amenities like the library lounge, wellness program, and expansive social calendar. Indulge in three daily meals made from scratch, get pampered at the on-site salon, and join in for Friday night socials. Meadow Greens is active retirement, the only locally owned retirement facility in the county with one and two bedroom apartments with full kitchens offering the free of eating in or enjoying a meal at the Outward Nine or the Duck Hook Bistro. Meadow Greens can also be of help when it's time to transition from an independent apartment to assisted living. Hi, I'm Josh Howe, director here at Meadow Greens. I'd like to personally invite you to come to our community. I look forward to showing you all that we have to offer. Call Meadow Greens today to arrange a private tour at 354-8200 and online at meadowgreenslinden.com. The grass is always greener at Meadow Greens. Have you really sat down and taken a good look at how much you're paying for home and auto insurance? I'm Derek Barnes, and by now you might know that my wife Denise and I own D&D Insurance in Ferndale. Over the years, we've seen individuals paying three, four, and sometimes $500 a year too much for their home and auto insurance. If we're going to be good stewards of the money provided to us, I think it's prudent we review our insurance and financial needs. 
Likewise, we've been given families to take care of, and if something untimely were to happen to us, it's good to know that we can still provide for our families even when we're not around. Life insurance gives us that opportunity. Don't put it off for another day. Pick up the phone and start making some wises. Call the agents at DND Insurance. They'll point you in the right direction. 392-8159 or visit us online at dndinsurance.com. We look forward to meeting you. This is Heidi Person, General Manager of the Cascade Radio Group, with a look at some good news in our community that we like to call the upside. The Art Bridges Foundation has awarded the Watka Museum an Access for All grant, aiming at making it easier for people across the country to experience art. Thanks to the grant, the Watka Museum will now be free the first Friday of every month, beginning January 5th, with special programming and extended hours until 9 p.m. The museum's monthly extended hours and free admission will coincide with first Fridays through the Downtown Bellingham Partnership. The Watka Museum spans two exhibition spaces, Old City Hall on Prospect, Street and the Lightcatcher Building, and both buildings will be open to visitors free every first Friday. The Upside is brought to you by Arby Wick and Bellingham Coin Shop. Stop by today for a free coin or antique evaluation. 1806 Cornwall, one block south of Bellingham High School, or at BellinghamCoinshop.com. If you have good news to report, email it to us at the Upside at CascadeRadioGroup.com. All are invited to engage in a day of service, gratitude, and community. Monday, January 15th, in recognition of Martin Luther King Jr. Day. A local food drive happens now through the 15th with non-perishable food items collected in bins throughout Bellingham, including the Bagelry, Fringe Boutique, Bellingham City Hall, and Rag Finery. Non-perishables collected will be shared amongst food pantries located at Bellingham Schools. A special MLK Day program, open to all ages, takes place Monday, January 15th at Seaholm High School, starting with a free community breakfast at 10 a.m., followed by a short program celebrating Dr. King. Multiple youth and all-age opportunities to participate in service projects will be available at Seaholm High School and throughout the community, too. This celebration of community caring is presented by education, city, and nonprofit institutions in Whatcom County. A complete project list with times and details can be found at www.edu backslash MLK. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. No gimmicks, just the highest quality systems. 0% interest financing and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Rely on West Mechanical heating, air conditioning, and electrical. Contact them today at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning. You know, I'm sitting here talking about inflation and government spending. I'm talking about our low-quality growth that we're seeing and how we took all this money, this uh, money from the CHIPS Acts and the Inflation Reduction Act, and how U.S. manufacturing construction facilities had increased by 59.1% from a year ago and 123.5% from two years ago. But the fact that it wasn't all private money, well, you know, that's really a disturbing report. Well, I also saw another report come out this week talking about how the government and the Federal Reserve use inflation to help hide or to devalue our debt. And basically, this analysis ties the surge in inflation to increased spending and the value of the debt. And basically, I'll go through this here. The U.S. government and those other countries that could use higher inflation to lessen the value of growing public debt resulted in increased spending during the COVID-19 pandemic, according to a new analysis by a Harvard economist. So what we're saying is by inflation, by inflating this debt, you're decreasing the value because you're decreasing the value of the dollars it's going to take to pay it back. Anyway, this study covers government spending from 2020 through 2022, the high point of the pandemic, and looked at the U.S. and 20 other economies in the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, or the OECD. In this case, it was done by Robert Barrow, who's a distinguished fellow in economic thought. 
is also the Paul M. Warburg Professor of Economics at Harvard University. And he spoke about his research on Thursday at an event basically called Inflation, Today's Financial Pandemic. He said, what are the policy's implications? Well, he said it's clearly supported that these kinds of results, that the inflation in the U.S. and these other major economies did reflect very strongly on the fiscal surge, which generated a particular response by the COVID crisis. He said that it succeeds in demonstrating clearly the strong linkage between fiscal outlay and the resulting inflation. So again, we spent all that extra deficit spending, created a whole bunch of inflation. But under the framework of his study, Barrow said that more spending triggers more inflation. The higher initial public debt, longer duration of the debt, mean lower inflation. You can think about the inflation surge as partly a way to pay the fiscal effort, he said. And in the context of an emergency like World War II or the COVID emergency, it may not be crazy to do it, do that, but it can be relatively efficient to have this kind of contingent response as a fiscal outlay, but is related to other some, some kind of crisis, again, wartime being the classic example. But Barrow's remarks came on the same day that the Labor Department reported that the Consumer Price Index, which is a key measure of inflation, increased in December by more than most economists projected. The CPI was up three-tenths of one percent. We just talked about that a minute ago. Higher than predicted, two-tenths of one percent. Year-over-year was up 3.4 percent compared to a projected 3.2 percent. Again, higher than necessary, deficit spending is still creating part of that problem. Wages adjusted by two-tenths of one percent in November, or eight-tenths of one percent from a year earlier. The bulk of this increase was because the shelter or housing costs, which went up a half a percent, or 6.2 percent year-over-year. Food prices went up two-tenths of one percent in November and December. Energy increased four-tenths of one percent in December, and although it fell by 2.3 percent in November. Barrow has contended that the increased inflation might not be as simple as presuming that government officials, including those at the Federal Reserve, didn't know what they were doing. In other words, he says they're fully aware of what they're doing. So it may be not so be simple that inflation is really stupid, he said. There may actually be rationale for having this kind of response. Again, not just in the U.S., but more broadly across the group of 21 countries. He said inflation could work only in emergencies as a strategy for addressing the size of public debt. He said because it amounts to a partial default on public debt. But he said the countries can benefit by deflating the real value of debt through inflation. That is the way this thing in terms of how much public debt is out there, how that interacts with inflation. He said that a question and answer session is creating this incentive effective for the monetary policy to inflate and implicitly, they are cooperating. Now, he said, I could say that the close linkage between fiscal situation and monetary and inflation situation is not something that typically applies. It's something that applies here in this emergency context, like in wartime COVID crisis. That's when you get this kind of surge. So he said, if you look at normal times, quite normal, but at least not this extreme emergency, you don't see this close a connection between fiscal situation and the monetary policy inflation situation. So once again, he's saying that you create a false economy, which we had in many ways with all this deficit spending, it created a tremendous amount of inflation. We're paying for it. We're paying for it big time, and we'll continue to pay for it for a long time. Well, okay. I saw an interesting study came out here, a report came out, said why more retirees might come out of retirement. And basically it said it's not often solely for financial reasons, but because of a lack of purpose in retirement. He said with ongoing inflation, high interest rates and volatility continuing to impact the market, it isn't hard to see why Americans are increasingly concerned about outliving their nest egg. As a result, many are rethinking their retirement. According to a recent study by F&G, half or 50% of pre-retired and retired Americans are considering delaying or coming out of retirement. Financial factors are there certainly a reason, with 52% of retirees worried that they won't have enough money in retirement. 42% of retirees are worried about inflation. 
But money doesn't tell the whole story, as the report also revealed that many Americans are returning to work for non-financial reasons, something that a lot of us can relate with. Retirement is more than a financial independence. Conventional wisdom may say that some will never want to return to work after retiring unless they're financially forced to. But the reality is that many Americans are considering going back to work simply because it makes them feel good. In fact, 50% of retirees are considering unretiring because they enjoy the intellectual challenge stimulation from working and 36% feel a lack of purpose in retirement. There's the new idea of retirement and how we can get there. Just as hybrid work has emerged over the last few years, we're seeing hybrid retirement become more common. Many folks are realizing that the old vision of retirement is working one day, then being completely retired the next is no longer an attractive prospect. Generations are now also wired differently. People are approaching retirement differently than their parents or grandparents. They want to learn, achieve goals, and spend time with other people who share similar passions. So how can they respond and how to ensure that this happens? Well, looking back, the best retirement advice, basically, number one, is to plan for it in advance. Envisioning what your daily life will look like, and two, don't overcommit yourself in the first year of retirement. It's important to financially plan for retirement, but people approaching retirement also need to plan for the life goals. It's critical to carefully think through what you'd like in retirement to look like. Do you want to travel? you want to spend more time with family, such as your grandkids? you want to volunteer? For people in a relationship, especially if it's, 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 e- it's easy to make assumptions that can lead to disappointment, so aligning in a common vision is a critical first step. Once someone can identify that, they will ins- that what will inspire them, bring them purpose in retirement, they can also make a plan to ensure that they're working to achieve it. Experts can help. One of the best ways people can ensure a well-positioned to achieve to, to, to retirement, if you want both financially and non-financially, is to work with a financial advisor. Essentially, that's what we do. We're, that's what we are. Surprisingly, the survey found that only half, about 50% of pre-retirees or retirees, currently work with an advisor. This is a huge missed opportunity for people to get input from their retirement plan and goals. Speaking with an advisor can alleviate concerns around inflation and outliving savings and ensure individuals have the right products to meet their needs. For financial advisors, it's also a chance to look beyond just their portfolios and lean into the role of life coach to help clients plan for overall happiness as well. Ultimately, Americans' retirement views are changing and moving beyond just their financial concerns. Everyone's life situation, goals, and dream retirement are different. So there's no one formula based on age or when you had when and how to retire. For example, baby boomers considering pushing back their retirement, the top reason they're doing so is because they enjoy the intellectual challenge and stimulation from working. 51% of them said that. Whereas Gen Xers, the top reason is tied between being worried about inflation, 45%, and wanting more financial options and larger safety net, 45%. So spending time today reviewing your concerns, understanding your goals, and building a plan to get there can pay off for years to come. Once people have that added direction, they won't have to worry about feeling like they're missing something in retirement. Instead, they're going to enter the next chapter more financially secure and personally fulfilled. Stick down to you with you with Wolf Wake up here on KGMI. We'll be right back. Jackson Hewitt has a plan to get your tax refund fast. With a buck, buck here, a buck, buck there. Here, buck, there, buck, everywhere, buck, buck. You don't have to wait weeks for your tax refund. Get money sooner with a no-fee refund advance loan at Jackson Hewitt. On this loan, there's a money today guarantee. E-I-E-I-D-O. Don't settle for chicken feed. Get fast bucks at Jackson Hewitt today. No-fee refund advance loans by Republic Bank offered to eligible clients. Money today guarantee if approved for a loan on a prepaid card. Details at jacksonhewitt.com. 
Do you find yourself stuck in a timeshare? Get the real facts about the timeshare industry and your options for cancellation. Chuck McDowell, founder of Wesley Financial Group, has put together a free information guide that reveals the secrets the timeshare industry doesn't want you to know, including the five ways to get rid of your timeshare. Call now and get this timeshare cancellation guide absolutely free. Call 800-330-2929. That's 800-330-2929. 800-330-2929. This week with PNW Perks, you can enjoy Bellingham Cider Company for half the price. You might know them for the delicious variety of cider flavors, like their Tips Up Cranberry with Spruce Tip Cider collaboration with Mount Baker Ski Area and other seasonal flavors. But you'll also be amazed by their menu, proudly sourcing their fresh food from local farms and businesses. Enjoy their in-house made ravioli, guajillo braised beef, or delicata squash salad. They're well known for their buttermilk brine chicken and waffles, but you'll also find juicy burgers made from Northwest raised beef or how about Cascadia Mushroom Risotto? You'll be amazed at the variety, selection, and flavors from the kitchen. Dietary restrictions? No problem. Their menu provides a host of vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, and dairy-free options. Bellingham Cider Company, the place great ciders meet exceptional food with breathtaking views everyone can enjoy. Find them at 205 Prospect or at BellinghamCider.com. This Thursday at 8 a.m., get a $50 gift certificate to Bellingham Cider Company for just $25, only at pnwperks.com. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Thanks for being with us. Appreciate your being here. As always, if you got questions for me, give me a call. 360-733-1200. Well, you know, losing a loved one is hard enough, but knowing that you're about to receive an inheritance can add to your stress. So I'm going to give you some helpful tips that may make it an easier process. You know, if you're like most of our clients, anticipating an inheritance likely means that something is happening or has happened to someone you love. This often means dealing with pain and grief and loss in addition to potential stress of additional financial opportunities and responsibilities. Combining your past money experience in a relationship with a person you're losing or have lost can cause varying degrees of stress. Approximately 15% of American adults expect to receive an inheritance in the next decade, according to a New York Life Wealth Watch survey. A shift of wealth being called the Great Wealth Transfer. The adults who anticipate receiving an inheritance expect to receive it from a parent, spouse, family member, or another individual. On average, adults who expect to receive an inheritance anticipate receiving a value of over $700,000. Only 42% of adults who expect to receive an inheritance feel very comfortable financially handling the new wealth that they've passed down to them. Nearly twice as many women who expect to receive an inheritance, 23% of them feel uncomfortable managing their inheritance than men who expect to receive an inheritance, 12% feel uncomfortable managing it. Well, these statistics are not kind. Studies show that roughly 33% of all inheritors have negative savings balance within two years of the receipt of the inheritance. After five years, that number jumps over 70%. Sadly, only 30% of inheritors take their inheritance seriously and use the plan for their future. It is important to be aware of and understand the typical habits of inheritors so that you can avoid these risks. Navigating grief Discomfort, handling finances, family dynamics can make it hard to know what to do when it comes to anticipating an inheritance. What steps can you take to make sure that you avoid the potential risks that lie ahead? Use your potential inheritance to help you make your best use of your any funds for your current and future financial goals. Well, number one, don't rush to make any big decisions. Often, when one receives an inheritance, it is hard to resist the urge to splurge for big purchases that you haven't been able to afford in the past, a fancy new car, an exotic international vacation, etc. But the best practice is to avoid major purchases until you can take its time to do some intentional planning. We recommend taking a proactive time out from decision-making. We call this the decision-free zone to process the reality of having a new financial system situation to determine how you would like it to impact your current and future financial plans, including retirement and other financial goals. 
If you take this purposeful time out, it can help you avoid making promises to do things for others with the new funds. It is important that you inform others who may be expecting your financial help that you'll not be ready to make those decisions for some time. This takes stress and pressure off of you and allows you time to plan for what you will do with the money at your own pace. You may eventually decide to help others, including family members or charities, but some of the money, if it fits in your financial plan, but by avoiding making promises right away, you don't make and or break commitments that may lead to hurt feelings and broken relationships that could impact future relationships. Number two, you need to set reasonable expectations about timing. Once you've been informed about your inheritance, you might begin to wonder when you'll receive it. It is important to find the types of accounts and assets that you might be inheriting so that you can set a clear expectation of how long and what it might actually be take to get them. You shouldn't expect to receive funds from an inheritance for at least one to two months following the death of a loved one. If you get them sooner, it's a pleasant surprise, but it could also take longer if the assets are not liquid. In some cases, just settling the estate. It's going to be held up longer for final expenses and or if there's legal issues that need to be resolved. Number three, be aware of taxes. It's important to be aware of types of assets you're inheriting so that you're aware that you might owe taxes on any of the dollars you're receiving. For instance, if you're receiving funds from an IRA or an annuity contract, it might be that that might have a taxable portion. You don't have taxes withheld at the time of distribution. You might need to plan to have extra funds at tax time to help pay for that bill. You also need to setting aside a portion of the inherited dollars for possible taxes due is a good idea so that you don't get caught blindsided at tax time. Number four, consider the details. Once you've received the assets, there'll be lots of other questions besides taxes to be answered, such as how should I hold the assets and what registration? Should I hold my inherited assets separate from other assets held with my spouse? Should I hold the same investments as my father or grandfather or etc. held? Or should I change the investments? If I inherited an IRA assets, how long do I have to distribute the account? Getting the help of a financial advisor to answer these questions is highly recommended. And number five, work with an advisor. It's highly advisable to work with a financial advisor to determine what has changed or could change in your financial picture with your new inheritance. This could include things like your income, your savings and emergency funds, your spending, your investments, your debts, your liabilities, your health care, your home, your insurance, your estate and legal planning, self-care, your family and your children, and also gifting and charity. When your changes have been identified, it makes sense to determine how they can be used to help you identify and meet your financial goals. With the help of a financial advisor, you can design a plan on how you can meet your financial goals for your new inheritance. Because it can be overwhelming, we recommend determining what goals need to be tackled first and what can wait until later based on now, soon, and a later schedule. Then. Meet regularly with your financial advisor to begin to check off the tasks that it takes to meet your goals and make the most of your inheritance. For many, receiving an inheritance means the loss of a loved one, and the fear of failing with the big responsibility that comes with handling what is being left financially, especially if you don't feel confident handling money, might leave you to feel feeling overwhelmed. By taking your time and using the guidance of a financial advisor, who will provide you with education and guidance, you can be successful in using your inheritance to make the most of your current and future financial goals. So just a few ideas. A lot of people facing receiving inheritance really get kind of run over like they feel like they get run over with a freight freight truck, frankly. So it's something to think about. Uh, well, we saw here that Washington CO2 tax, there are that we had passed, it came in at about 43 cents a gallon and an increase, and we're seeing more increases are coming. Uh, Washington's new tax on CO2 emissions ended up adding about 43 cents a gallon to gas in 2023. The final price was reduced by several market interventions by the Department of Ecology staff, but prices are likely to increase again this year. 
a stat, an ethology staff released the results of their fourth quarter auction of CO2 emissions. The settlement price was $51.89. That's a significant drop from the previous auction of $63.03. But the average tax on CO2 in 2023 ended up costing $54.74 a metric ton. That equates to $0.43 cents a gallon of gasoline and about $0.53 cents per gallon for diesel. The most notable thing about the allowance price is that one penny below the threshold of fifty-one ninety, that that would trigger a special auction of CO two allowances from above the credit reserve. If that settlement price had been one cent higher, ecology officials would have had to hold a special auction to put more emission credits on the market in an effort to to drive prices down. But the result of the auction is not a coincidence. Bidders recognized that Ecology's special auction strategy was to offer a significant number of credits at a flat rate of $51.90. In the first special auction, Ecology offered just over 1 million allowances split between $51.90 and $66.68. In the second auction, they offered the 5 million credits at $51.90. If the settlement price for the fourth quarter reached $51.90, Ecology said it would have to put about 2 million more allowances on the market. Bidders seem to have reasonably assumed that those credits would again be offered at a flat $51 and flat rate of $51.90. So as a result, bidders offered $51.89, knowing that if they failed to win the allowances that needed, it would be because the price hit $51.90, triggering another special auction that would add another opportunity to buy credits for one penny more per allowance. A penny doesn't seem like a lot, but for entities purchasing one million credits, that savings amounts to about $10,000. Ecology's strategy of flooding the market with flat-rate CO2 allowances essentially turned the auction into a flat carbon tax. Having set the pattern in 23, bidders may do the same in 24. The cost, however, is going to be higher since the trigger price for special auction will be increased by 8.2% to $56.16. So additionally, the number of allowances offered for auction will decrease by 7.5% in 2024, which is also likely to push up prices. You put that 7.5% reduction in context, energy-related CO2 emissions in the United States fell 7.3% between the 08 and 09 recession. In Washington State, emissions fell by only 3.6% uh, during the Great Recession. So we have to double that in one year, hopefully without a recession. During COVID lockdowns in 20, U.S. energy-related CO2 emissions fell 11%. The combination of these factors mean that we are likely to see the impact of tax on CO2 emissions increase in 2024. So games are being played with all those nice things. You need to talk about them. Thanks for listening. Dick Donahue with you. We'll wake up here on KGMI. Don't forget our live show next Saturday at 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock. We are going to have, I mentioned this on yesterday's show, we're going to have Patrick Connor back with us. Patrick is the state director for the National Federation of Independent Business. He'll be talking about legislation that is being considered and being worked on in Olympia that's in this next legislative session. Thanks for being with us. Have a great day. Have a great week. Take care out there. Give us a call if you've got questions, 733-1200. on the show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision.